Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? You good? Awesome. So, so good to see you here. If you're a guest, thank you for giving us a little bit of your time today. We know you could have been a lot of different places, especially on a beautiful day like today, but you're here and we're excited and uh, so, so glad that you're here. My name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors. And um, uh, today we're wrapping up a series that we've been in called Jesus.me. And, uh, and I love this series, by the way. And if you haven't been here, though, I want to bring you up to speed. Uh, so I don't want you to feel left out, okay? If you haven't been here, let me kind of recap what we did each week at least the topic. And I'm really encouraging you, if you've not heard any of these messages, go online and listen to these messages, okay? Um, because I think they will really encourage you, number one, but also it will give you a purpose for your own life in 2021. You see, let me kind of give you a little bit of background here. The background is at the end of 2020, our staff sat around and we sat in this room. We started praying about, talking about, hey, what do we want our values to be moving in 2021? God has done a lot of things. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of hurt. There's been a lot of loss for us as individuals, as a church family, went through a really difficult year, as a lot of people did. But what do we want to hang on to going into 2021? And so these are the values that we came up with as a team saying, listen, we're going to hold tight to these no matter what happens in 2021. And we're praying that in 2021, we don't look back at 2020 and go, those were the good old days. I mean, we, we want 2021 to be different is what I'm saying. And so the very first value is that we are Jesus focused. We're going to be Jesus focused. We're not going to be religion focused. We're not going to be rules focused. We're going to tell the world and we're going to remind ourselves of what's great about Jesus and not what's wrong with us. Because we believe that he alone sets people free, not us. And so we're going to be Jesus focused. The second week we talked about that we are better together. The people on your road, they don't know what you've been through. They don't know what you're experiencing right now in your life, in your business, in your family, in your relationships. The rows don't know, but the circles do. And so you need a small group. I need a small group. I'm in a small group every single Tuesday at three o'clock on Zoom with other pastors in the area. And we talk about our lives. We talk about our marriages. We talk about our kids. And it is a great small group that I'm a part of. And so we want you to be a part of a small group. So we are better together. And then uh, Kurt Lawson, our Do Good Director, talked about that we are hope carriers that what God has done in our life, what he has spoken to us about, it just gives us so much hope that we have to share that hope with other people because you know someone who lives around you, you work with, they just need to hear about hope. And Jesus is the hope for their life right now. So we are hope carriers. Last week, I talked about that we are joyful givers. If you didn't hear that message, I really hope you hear that message because what God, again, has given us with our talents, our skills, our finances, our abilities, that we want to joyfully give those away to help make the world a better place. And today we're going to wrap it up, and I want to tell you our last uh, value. But before we do, I, I want to play a game. Is that okay? Can we do that? This is a simple game, by the way. It's a test. Um, it does matter. Um, and so it's true and false, though, so hopefully you'll, you'll be able to hang in there. And so you have to play along, okay? If you don't play Play along, you're a wuss. So everybody plays along with the true-false game, okay? True or false, here's the very first question. The Bible is the most shoplifted book in the world. How many of you would say that's true? Anybody in the room? How many of you would say that is false? Anybody in the room? Okay. The answer is true. Can you believe that? How crazy is that, right? Isn't that amazing? Uh, the second is, is this, um, a kiss lasting more than a minute burns 100 calories. How many of you say that's true? How many of you say that's false? The answer, 
faults. It's what comes after the kiss that burns <laughs> the calories. The, the third, third true or false on this, Torchy's Tacos is the best place to go on Sunday uh, for lunch after church. How many of you say that's true? How many of you say that's false? You need Jesus. I'm telling you, all of you right now, that is the place to go for lunch on Sundays, right there. And then the very last one, true or false, a cat, this is a crazy question, a cat has 32 muscles in each ear. How many of you say that's true? How many of you say that's false? Answer, who cares about cats? Come on. <laughs> Satan is a roaring lion. Cats are in his family. You don't need a cat, don't have a cat. <laughs> I just made some enemies. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So our very last, very last virtue and value that we're going to hang on to is that we are truth-centered. Let me kind of just throw it out there in, in, in front of everyone. We believe the Bible is true. And we want to center our lives in the scripture. We want to center our lives in true. We believe it's true from the beginning all the way to the end. We believe the maps in the back of your Bible are true. We believe it's genuine leather. Uh, we believe the Bible. By the way, if you want a really nice Bible, go to our lost and found. Leather bound, really nice, rarely used. Um, you can find one. And so we love and believe that God's word is true. Okay, so I'm just kind of putting that out there at the very beginning for us. And, uh, and the, the message really launches today from a conversation that Pilate actually had with Jesus. If you remember that uh, Jesus is brought to Pilate, unjust trial, late at night, early in the morning, and Pilate can't find anything wrong with Jesus to put him on the cross. And so he's struggling. He's like, you've done nothing wrong but I've got a mob who wants to put you on the cross and I need something. How, how are we going to get out of this? And this is the conversation that took place between Pilate and Jesus. Here's what it says. Pilate said, so you're a king. And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the, what's the next word? Truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So two things we learn from what Jesus said, and that's this. Jesus testifies about the truth, and what he says is actually true. This is what we get from this. And then Pilate asked a question that has been asked for centuries. It has baffled the wise. It has made life so simple for the simple and here's what Pilate actually asked. What is truth? So, 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 so you say that everything you say is true. You're here to testify the truth. But what is actually true? Now, this, this is why it's important that you are able to answer this question. Because this principle is true for your life and mine. That your belief determines your destiny. What you believe about marriage will impact the destiny of your marriage. What you believe about your finances and how you should handle them will absolutely impact your future, your financial outlook for your future. What you believe about how you should work is gonna impact how you operate at work and possibly a raise. It just matters what you believe your destiny. When you throw in the, the spiritual realm, what you believe in this world absolutely will impact the next world after this world. So what you believe actually determines your destiny. Now, you have Jesus saying this. Everything I say is true. I love you. I want the best for you. So every time I speak, 
I'm speaking truth. Now, here's what Jesus believed. You might not believe this, but Jesus believed this. And so I'm just telling you, I'm going with Jesus, okay? You come back from the dead, I'll go with you. I'm gonna go with Jesus on this deal. Jesus actually believed that there was one opposing truth at every corner. Jesus believed this one that opposed truth was not a force. It wasn't a, just this realm of evil. Jesus believed it was a noun, an entity, a person, a something driving the lies in our world. Uh, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, angel of light, prince of the air. So many uh, uh, titles that this one is given. And here's what Jesus said about this one. Jesus said, I came to give you truth, but here's the thing you need to know. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. Why? Because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. In other words, Jesus is saying, look at it. Every time I speak, I'm speaking true. But every time he speaks, it's a complete lie. Now, here's, here's how he operates, though. Satan, the devil, whatever name you want to give him, Lucifer. He doesn't just come right out with some crazy lie because no one would believe something so crazy. Here's what he does. He takes a little bit of true and he mixes in a lie or two. So, it's, so it is true, but it's true-ish. And the longer he tells what's true-ish, it's just barely off the truth. But when you look down the destiny of that road, it's way off of what Jesus actually said was true. Now, I want to illustrate this, okay? There is a teacher, worldwide, renowned. He, this dude is gaining followers like crazy for ages 30 and below. The millennial generation flocking to this guy. Jen Hatmaker says he is the greatest teacher on planet right now. I say he's the most dangerous teacher on the planet right now. Rob Bell, what would we do without Richard Rohr? Oprah Winfrey loves Richard Rohr, promotes him left and right. I want to show you a clip of what's true-ish and how this works. Watch this. Uh, yeah, I just finished a book, uh, uh, on what I'm calling the universal Christ, another name for everything, another name for everything, because the point I make, and we'll have time to elaborate on this, uh, at our conference. And, and this is not a stretch. This is not unorthodox or heretical, but it's uh, utterly new to most Christians that Christ is not Jesus last name. Christ existed from all eternity. Right? And that's very clear in Paul's letter in Ephesians, Colossians, the prologue to John's gospel, the first paragraph of Hebrews. It's all through the scriptures, but you know, you can't see what you're not told to pay attention to. And the first 2,000 years, Christianity was, uh, I'll just say, uh, so in awe of the incarnation of God as we believed in Jesus that we never really got to recognize that Christ was a bigger and an older and a larger category than Jesus. <laughs> Jesus became the Christ. Jesus revealed the Christ. And that's very clear already in Acts of the Apostles. But you can see how this 
really affects what we're concerned about here. Mm. We're dealing with the, the basis for a universal religion <laughs> that, that it doesn't need to be in competition with any other religion. Uh, when, when we pull Jesus into our tribal worldview and made him German and Italian and French and Spanish uh, and used him, I mean, I don't mean to be irreverent, but sort of as our, you know, divine mascot for our national religion, uh, it, we just ended up with a very small version of Jesus. Uh, and we've seen this in our inability to rise above racism, classism, sexism, homophobia, name all of them. Uh, we, we just didn't have a big enough frame. So what I'm praying and hoping I can do in this book is, is make that clear to people, that we're actually coming from, what, for want of a better word, I'm going to say a natural religion. It's true-ish. Jesus' last name is not Christ. That might be a revelation for some of you. It wasn't Joseph and Mary Christ. That's true. I mean, he mentioned the apostles. He mentioned New Testament writers. He mentioned things that in Scripture about Jesus, he's always existed, he did come, he was the Messiah. It's all true. And if you just listen, you're like, yeah, Jesus is the answer for racism and sexism. And yes, we, that we need the love of Jesus in our world. It all sounds true, but it's actually true-ish. And this is how Satan works. See, if you continue following him, he doesn't believe in a hell, even though Jesus did and talked about it and the scriptures talk about it. Why? Because God is all loving. He doesn't believe in the atonement of Jesus, which means you didn't need Jesus to die for your sin. In fact, if you believe your sin is a problem, you actually have mental issues and need help. Jesus died so that you would have someone who understands what it's like to suffer. That's why he died. True-ish. But you keep going down that road and you get so far away from the truth. This is how our enemy works. And people, millennial generation, without knowing the truth, we fall for anything that sounds true, right? And here's what scripture says in Romans, by the way. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who, wh wh why? They suppress the truth. It's like holding basketballs underwater. There's something that tells us this is probably true, but it just doesn't sound true. It doesn't feel true, so let's hold it underwater by their wickedness. Watch this next part. Although they claim to be wise, they became fools. Now, this is an opinion, okay? I always tell you if it's an opinion of mine because I might be wrong. They claim to be wise, but it's actually so foolish, right? There are people in high high positions, they have all the letters behind their names, right? Because they're schooling and education. And who they actually say that when a baby is born, you can't tell if it's male and female. It's just an opinion, but it just sounds so foolish to me. But they're so wise in our world. That was just one example. The very last is this. What are they doing? What's happening? They're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. It's a, it's a mix. Now, how do we get to this point? Well, there are a lot of different reasons, but I'm going to give you two, um, two truths, tools that Satan is using nowadays that one you've heard of, one you may not have heard of, but you need to know about it. The first one is relativism, and the second one is deconstructionism.
The first one you've probably heard of. The second one, maybe not. Relativism, this is my definition I came up with. You might have a better one. But relativism is simply this. There's no absolute truth. Which is an absolute true statement, by the way. Anyway, you'll get it on the way home on your way to Torchies. Relativism, there's no absolute truth. So I am my own authority. You can't tell me what's right for me because your truth may not be my truth and that's okay because truth is constantly changing and there's no absolute truth. Isn't it funny that that argument is only used when it comes to morality and spirituality? You ever thought about that? You don't have an astronaut on the moon trying to get back to earth going, uh, yeah, I, can everybody just tell me what you think might happen? Anybody? Well, dude, I, you know, this might happen. This might be true. I don't know it was true yesterday, but it might not be. No, 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 no. What, are the, what's he, what is he banking on? He's banking that the laws of physics were true. They are true. They will always be true. And he has a group of scientists going, yes, this is true. This law of physics will not change. It is true. You don't find in the medical world a doctor going, hey, listen, I know we're about to have heart surgery. Now, yesterday, the heart pumped a lot of blood. That may have changed. I don't know. We're going to open you up and find out. In the medical profession, what has been true is true, will always be true about your heart. No one argues that. If you're a math teacher, you're teaching your students what has been true about two plus two, what is true about two plus two, what will always be true about two plus two. This mathematical equation will never change. You don't walk in going, all right, students, I just heard that two plus two is 10. Write that down because it might be true. So we're going to try. Isn't it interesting? It's only relative to truth and how you live your life and what you believe. Isn't that interesting? Watch, watch. And when you take away truth, truth then is actually superseded by feeling. Well, I feel like it's true for me, so it is true for me. Doesn't matter what truth really is. Whoa, 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 whoa. I am sincere in what I feel and believe, so it actually must be true whether or not it's true for you. And it changes. How many of you grew up in the 50s? Am I grew up in the 50s? Anybody? Some of you? Look at all these young bucks. I love it. I love it. I don't know, baby. How old am I? You're 80. You Okay, me. Okay. So I love that. In the 50s, you never heard of people getting divorced. It was held as sacred. It was held as holy. You made a vow and the vow was until we die. And I ain't leaving even when it gets hard. If you did hear about someone getting divorced, it was very hush-hush. It was very, very rare. You just didn't. We're sticking this thing out as a family. And then you get to the 60s. How many of you grew up in the 60s? You remember, the, <laughs> better question. How many of you remember the 60s? Because everybody was stoned. Anybody remember the 60s, right? Here's what happened. There was a freedom with your body. The sexual revolution, right? It's my body. Let's just have sex. And here's what happened. The holiness and the commitment of marriage went down and sexual feelings went up. So now we live in a world where that belief, if it doesn't work out, that's so ancient. And it's my body. You can't tell me what to do with my body. And who doesn't live together before marriage? And I mean, just saying that, Kenny, you sound so old 
Even saying that, come on, come on. When you go to a shoe store, you try on the shoes before you buy it. We're doing the same thing. But when you look at our community as our culture, are we better off for that belief? Are we? That now when you get married, you got one hand on the door with it cracked open. Instead of saying, you are so valuable to me. I'm in it for the long haul. And we're going to end this thing together. Don't upset me. I can leave any. Do you see how this works? Now, again, you probably know about relativism. I want to tell you about another one. And this is the big one of the day. Podcasts are going through the roof on what's called deconstructionism. This is my definition as I understand it. It might be a little bit different for you. But here's deconstructionism. Dismantling a unified text to question what's always assumed to have been true. You're dismantling a unified ancient text to find out, has that always been true? It's like this cake. This cake is a unified work of art. I really want a piece. It really does look good. But it was made in the past. But it's unified. There are different elements that go into it, but it's one unified piece. I want to show you in Scripture just an example of this. Because when you look at Scripture, it's so fascinating. The Bible that you have is not one book, by the way. The Bible that you have is 66 books put together in one volume. It's written over 1,500 year span of time by 40 plus authors. You had fishermen writing parts of your Bible. You had kings writing parts of your Bible. There are men playing major roles in the Bible. There are women playing major roles in the Bible. You have tax collectors, the worst of the worst, writing parts of your Bible. You have shepherds sitting out in a field writing parts of your Bible. 40 authors over three continents, on three continents, three different language, and yet this is what's so amazing. 1,500 years, 40 authors, three continents, three different language, the whole thing is unified telling one message. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? How do you explain the unity, the preservation, the archaeology, the prophecy? How do you explain the unity of the text? It's mind-blowing when you look at it. A deconstructionist comes along, though, and a deconstructionist says, whoa, 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 let's take that ancient text called the Bible and let's do something with it. Let's break it down. Now, I want to give you an example, though, of the unity of the Bible from beginning to end. I'm going to use from the prophets, and I'm going to go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation, also known as the freaky book. So stay with me on this. (laughs) Starting in 2 Samuel, the prophet said, Oh, Lord God, you are God, and your words, your words are truth. Next verse. This says this, and the psalmist wrote, your law is truth. The law, uh, talking about the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of your commandments, all of them specifically, Exodus and Leviticus, they are true. Next verse, it says this, the sum, the unity, all of your word is actually true. When we go to Proverbs, the Proverbs said this, every word of God proves true true. When we also then jump from Proverbs to Matthew, who is a follower of Jesus, I have not come to, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, this is important. I have not come to abolish the law, first five books of the Bible, and I've not come to abolish the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, but I have come to fulfill them. Jesus believed the Old Testament was true, is what that means. He believed it. 
Um, Teacher, this is Mark. Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God. How do you do that? In truth. Next verse, it says this in John, your word is truth. He was an eyewitness follower of Jesus. From John, you go to the, the, the New Testament because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. You can also find the New Testament writer saying this in 2 Timothy, all scripture, all scripture, all scripture is inspired. The word inspired means breathe in. Expire means breath out, breathe in, that God would breathe in to give us his word. He had a part to play. He was a leader in it coming to fruition. And then 1 Peter says this, the word of the Lord endures, how long? What's the very last word? Forever. That's right. Some of you were confused. I know it's forever is the word. 1 Peter. And then uh, finally in Revelation, these words are faithful and true. 1,500 years, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, and they all say the same thing about the Bible. God's word's true. He always has been true. He always will be true. And he will never change. He's not schizophrenic. It's true. It's true. Here's what a deconstructionist will do. Well, I don't know. Let's look at that real fast. Um, so they will deconstruct an ancient text, which means we're going to deconstruct this cake, which means you got to have sugar is what you got to have. And then you got to have some butter. So we're just going to break down the text and you got to have some eggs and some milk. There's some chocolate on top. So you got to have chocolate, dark chocolate, by the way. Thank you very much. There's some strawberries. So we got to have some strawberries and then, um, some cocaine. I don't even know what that is, but we got it in there. And then we got some baking powder and then I don't, I don't know how to cook. We got an orange box of stuff and a bottle of something in case it goes wrong. We can have a really good time doing it. And then we've got, we also have the all purpose flour. A deconstructionist will take the cake made in layers and all put together and break it completely down to study each one in its context, in the hermeneutics, but here's the problem. You never study a text without seeing it among other texts. How do you study the Bible? With the Bible. You can pull out a verse in any part of the Bible to make it say what you want it to say. And here's how this works. Man, it's such an ancient text. Uh, butter? Like people don't use butter anymore. We're smarter than that. Like we got, we got better stuff than butter to use. It's so old. It's not relevant anymore to how we actually do this. Baking soda? Who puts baking soda in cakes anymore? So that, it was good for back then, but it's not good anymore. It's a deconstruction of truth to make it say what you want it to say. Now, here's the question, though. Here's the question. Why would a deconstructionist do this? Watch, watch, watch. I remember my seminary professor, Old Testament professor, he said this over and over. And to be real honest, I did not understand why he said this. But he said it over and over. He said, class, anytime you hear someone saying, we've discovered a new truth, anytime you hear someone saying... 
It's just been misunderstood for 2,000 years. This is what it really means. He would say this, run. Did you hear that in Richard Rohr, by the way? We've just missed it for 2,000 years. It's new. Run. Just run. Because a deconstructionist thinks their question is new. The question is the first question ever recorded in the Bible. And the question is real simple. Did God really say? You go, who asked that question? If you don't know the Bible, Satan asked that question of Adam and Eve. Let's break down. Did God really say that? Did he really mean? Come on, come on, come on. It's God. He just don't want you to have fun. Did he really say? This is not new at all. It is super old. So it's so easy to go, mm, no, it's too ancient, too ancient. No, 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 no. Now the question is, why would a deconstructionist do this? I could be wrong. I chose three reasons in my conversations, in videos that I've seen, in the testimonies that I hear on this movement. There are three reasons why I think this is such a huge deal in our culture. Number one, pain. You get hurt by the church, you're going to change what you believe about the church. You get hurt by someone who says they're a follower of Jesus, you're going to start changing what they taught you about Jesus. Because why? Pain changes you. And it can change what you believe if you're not careful. Um, but when you go to other parts of the world and you see suffering at a level that you cannot, you cannot process in your brain. You see suffering. It's hard to reconcile two things. If God is all loving, why does he let suffering and pain happen? And if God is all powerful, why doesn't he do something about it? And if you wrestle with that long enough, you just step back and say, that God does not exist. He does not exist. Because a loving God wouldn't do that. A powerful God would change that. So it's pain. The other thing I wrote down, professors. I mean, come on, come on. How, how, how many of you know of a kid who grew up in church, they go to college and they sit in a freshman classroom because they have to take Bible or history or ancient literature? And I mean, why wouldn't you believe him or her standing in front of the class? They've got the credentials. They've got the diplomas. And when they deconstruct scripture, you walk away going, I never heard that. Pastor Kenny never talked about that. So it's gotta be true because Pastor Kenny, he's not in my class. He's at church. He works one day a week. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way that's true anymore. This is the big one though. This is the big, I don't think that's the biggest one. By the way, the answer to that, if that happened in a classroom, is I always say this. Don't let an 18-year-old, now that you're 45, dictate what you believe. It's time to go, God, let me do my own research of your truth. But I think this is the big one, preference. Preference. You can't tell me how to live. Morality and spirituality. Every other thing, we all agree on truth. But not those two areas. Watch, watch, watch. So if in my morality... If in what I think is true goes against what scripture says, it's a whole lot easier to change scripture than it is what I believe. It's a lot harder to bow down my morality and spirituality that it could be a lie to God's truth. So here's what I'd rather do. I'd just rather change God's truth 
to fit what I really want to believe about my life. That's the big one. If you want to be real honest, that's the big one, especially in our culture. That one's it right there. That one's it. That one's it. So what's our takeaway? We are truth-centered as a church. By the way, I want to throw this out there, if that's okay. I don't know everything about the Bible. I don't understand everything about the Bible. I don't know if Adam and Eve had belly buttons. I don't care. I don't know. I can't put it all together. But that's okay, isn't it? Isn't it okay to have a God that you cannot understand everything about? Because if you did, what kind of God is he really? There is a mystery to God. It's what makes the journey with him so exciting, by the way. Um, We are truth-centered, and here's the good news for us that we can take away. The greatest truth is a who, not a what. The greatest truth is a who, not a what, not a belief, not a system, not a philosophy. It's a person. Here's what the Bible actually says, and that's this. Jesus said this, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me, let, let, me, let me just do this because if you're in this room, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're like, I don't believe any of this stuff you're saying. I came for the donuts and coffee. Come back next week for the donuts and coffee. But here's what I want to say. Watch, watch, watch. Oh, I gotta hurry up. Just take that statement away from Jesus and look at his life. The most kind human being who's ever lived. The most generous human being that's ever lived. He fought for the poor. He was poor. He validated women's rights in a world where women had no rights whatsoever. He defended those that the world wanted to kill. He stood in between the rocks and the person who deserved to die. He spoke so much wisdom about life, just about how to live life. He's the most, he was just special, man. Like you can't describe him in one message. He was so, take the travel, just him. No one has ever, ever lived like him. He is truth. And here's what I think, I could be wrong. It's my opinion. People aren't turned off by Jesus. They're turned off by Jesus' followers. That's what I think. Because we've done such a poor job of representing him. The Bible says that Jesus came in truth, full of, full of, full of, not part of, full of truth and full of grace. In churches, it's so easy to drop grace. And when you have nothing but truth, you become so judgmental. And you become the judge police around people's life. When there's no grace. When there's all grace and no truth, you just let people live and believe however they want to live and believe. And that's just as dangerous. Jesus said, I'm full of truth and grace. He was so special. Why would you turn away from him? And this comes to the second thing about him. And that's this. Jesus and his truth brings freedom. My truth doesn't bring freedom. Your truth doesn't bring freedom. And that's the one thing we all need in our life from something is freedom. Here's what Jesus actually said, by the way. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You go, how free? Like like what scale of freedom? If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Bank on it. It's him. It's not about a church. It's not about a religion. It's about a person. And it's not about having all the answers because no one does. But he does. And we're going to be truth-centered and Jesus-focused because that's where people's lives are changed forever.
Let's pray together.